may be seated. Good morning, I'm Paul Joyner. I'm one of the pastors here. If you're visiting with us, we're so glad to have you. Um, if you would like to find out a little bit more about Zion, you can grab one of those visitor cards in the pew rack in front of you. Um, just fill it out and leave it in the offering plates, uh, which are up here um, and in the back uh, vestibule. Um, and there as well, um, you can leave your tithes and your offerings. Um, we are in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We regularly work through books of the Bible, um, believing that it is good for God to set the agenda in His Word. We've had to tackle tough passages, passages that I would much rather have skipped over or never come to, and God setting the agenda we believe just gives us much more of a well-rounded shape to us as a congregation. Um, and so we find ourselves here in 1 Corinthians 12. Um, and uh, if you don't have a Bible, we've printed the text for you in the worship guide. You can find that on page 9. If you do not have a Bible, if you're new to Christianity, maybe just checking out Jesus, we would love for you to take one of those those Bibles home with you so that you could have God's Word in your home, that he might cause you by his spirit to hide it in your heart and be transformed by it. This is God's word, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting with verse 1 through 11. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. And to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another the working of miracles. To another prophecy to another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. This is God's word. Would you join with me as we ask him to bring this word to bear on our lives? Let's pray. Lord... Jesus, we just sung our prayer. Speak, O Lord. Our hearts are pulled in a thousand different directions. Our minds are running through all the things that we've done wrong or had done wrong to us and that we need to fix this week. And so we would pray, settle us down into your grace. Quiet us into your love. And give us ears to hear and eyes to see your sufficiency, your beauty, your grace, your power. 
And then transform us that we could leave here changed by you. And so we pray this because you have risen from the dead, conquered the grave, and are seated at the right hand with all power and authority. So in your name we pray, amen. Well, the search for meaningful existence is built into every single one of us. It's just hardwired into us. There's just no way to avoid it. Part of that is that we were made to be on mission. That's to do things in the world, to leave a visible, lasting difference. We want to make a difference. We want to look out and say, I've had a meaningful place in this world and I've left a meaningful mark in this world. I have contributed at least something. And yet, this world's not the way it's supposed to be. There's a lot of futility in the world. Almost everything that any of us puts into the world, whether it's small things or on a global scale, has some downside to it. 300 years of technological advancement and industrial advances in the world leaves us as well wondering whether it's had a negative effect on the environment or if the emphasis on even productivity and efficiency leaves us just more spinning with the flurry of activity and a rise of anxiety and an amazing product like the phone, glass, silicon, metal all combined together in artisan fashion to leave a visible difference on the world carrying around in our pockets. The promise of increased productivity also increases our outrage and decreases our attention spans. Almost anything built with a desire to leave a visible lasting difference on the world, to be on mission, to make our contribution, almost anything that we put into the world has downsides to it and then it's met in a world that just seems to be futile all the time. And yet that desire to be on mission only increases when you become a follower of Jesus. You're part of something much bigger than yourself. When you come to faith in Jesus, come under his kingship, he's a king with the kingdom, which means you are advancing with that king and his kingdom on mission. He's brought you into his mission to redeem what was broken by the entrance of sin into the world. He is making all things new and Paul's point here in 1 Corinthians is that by his spirit, he's co-opted you into that and made you an essential part of what he's doing. He's given gifts to people, his people, who participate in his mission. Paul's addressing here in 1 Corinthians 12 in a number of problems in the church in Corinth back as we transitioned in Chapter 11, verse 2, he has before that dealt with how we handle our individual freedoms and rights in shape of the cross. They're given to us by Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Therefore, our rights and our freedoms take the shape of the cross in our employment of them. Now in 11, 2 and onward, he's talking to the church, not as individuals, but as we're gathered together. And remember that this letter is written to the gathered community of God's people, not to a bunch of individuals. Now, oftentimes we see as we transition here in 
verse 1, now concerning spiritual gifts, we see these next few chapters as a discourse on spiritual gifts with this weird addition of verse 13, which we think is supposed to be read at weddings. And yet it's in this larger context of how God's people are to be as they gather together. Now concerning spiritual gifts. In fact, some of you, because this is typically the way we see this as a discourse on spiritual gifts, have texted me this week wondering what my view is on spiritual gifts. Were they just for the time of the apostles or have they, and therefore have they ceased or are they ongoing in the church today? And the answer has been, well, we'll get there, maybe. Chapter 13, I'll let you know. It is one of the problems of preaching through books of the Bible is that you anticipate where I'm going next and start asking me questions, which I just absolutely love. And then some of you look forward and go, I think I might skip this next Sunday. (laughs) But I think we lose, if it just focus on spiritual gifts, we lose the broader context of what Paul's doing here in this chapter. The broader context is developing our understanding of the person and work of God, the Holy Spirit. These next three chapters are just full of the centrality of the Spirit of God in the work and ministry of the church. And so let me suggest that instead of translating this as spiritual gifts in chapter 12, verse 1, We need to kind of reconsider it because in the original language, it's not two words, spiritual gifts. It's one word, spiritual of the spirit or spiritual ones or spiritual things. Now you have to broader context. You have to remember, if you've got your Bibles, turn with me back to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. And keep your thumb there because then we're going to go back to 1 Corinthians 2. As Paul often does, he's introducing themes. He introduced the themes of the work of the Spirit all the way back in his introduction in the very first sentences. And now in verse three, chapter 3, verse 16, he reminds the people of God, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? Now in the original, that's y'all. One of the things I love about Southern, we actually have a second person plural. Do you not know that God's spirit dwells in y'all? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him for God's temple is holy and y'all are that temple. Not a bunch of individuals gathered together, but together as a collective community, God has chosen to take up his residence in us. By his spirit, he's washed us with the blood of Jesus. And no matter what sin we've come defiling us, he says you're clean enough for me to dwell in you. Because I've washed you with my son, sanctified you, set you aside. You are holy because my son is holy and I've given you my holy spirit. And so because the spirit of God is at work in the church, it's simultaneously, we are together simultaneously The result of God's mission in the world? Do you want to see the undoing of futility? Look around. All of us have been made new by God through his Holy Spirit. Making all things new. Church is the 
product of God's mission in the world. He's not going to let sin and decay or Satan win the day. He has won in Jesus Christ and he's making new people who are gathered together to be his temple and the church. But we're also not just the product of the mission of God. We are also entrusted with the glory of carrying out that mission in his world. It's through the church that God is building his kingdom as people who were once opposed to him, come to trust themselves to him, bowing their knee to King Jesus. It's through the church that Jesus is making new people, and it's through the church that he is strengthening them by his word. That is the gift of the Spirit. And so let me suggest that instead of translating this in verse 1 as now concerning spiritual gifts, Brothers, because gifts is an interpretive suggestion that we instead interpret spiritual ones or spiritual. Different abilities. He's going to go on. He's going to talk about different abilities that the Holy Spirit gives to the people of God. Because in verse 4, and this is why we translate, often translate it as gifts here in 12.1. In verse 4, he's going to talk about gifts and he's going to go on and give a list of gifts. But let me suggest that what he's doing is he's starting out broad. and saying, let me tell you about the work of God the Holy Spirit. One of which is to give gifts, but more broadly, this is what he's doing. He's making a new realm that belongs to Jesus, that is empowered by the Spirit. So if you've got your Bibles, now let's go back to chapter 2, verse 12. If you want to understand how to understand Paul, here's one of the ways. Again, often he introduces something and then builds it out. And one of the ways he does that is you can go back and say, this is how he used this word the first time. He's probably loading it with meaning. And this is the first time he uses that same word that we translate as spiritual gifts here in verse 1. He translates as spiritual people or the spiritual ones, those who have been made new by God, the Holy Spirit, verse 12 of chapter 2. Now we, those who are in Christ, now we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. That's the same word in verse 1 of chapter 14, or chapter 12. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person, same word, judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord to have instructed him? But we have the mind of Christ. In both of these places, God the Holy Spirit, that's what the Bible usually means when it says spiritual. It doesn't mean non-physical things. God has made all things physical and invisible. He's made all things when the Bible talks about spiritual things, there it means most of the time that which is the work of God, the Holy Spirit. And specifically, 
when God the Holy Spirit is taking from Jesus and making things brand new in the world. And so read that in this framework of verse 1. Now concerning the spiritual ones or the spiritual persons or the realm of the Holy Spirit where God is making all things new. I don't want you to be uninformed about what God is doing by His Spirit. He's bringing all the fallen world that's under the curse of sin into the realm of forgiveness and blessing and love of Jesus. Now, verse 2. Because here's Paul carrying it on. This is, now I don't want you to be misinformed about what the Holy Spirit is doing in the world. And so then he creates a contrast between what the Holy Spirit is doing and the lifelessness of what surrounding religious activities are doing. Now concerning the spiritual things, the spiritual ones, the realm of the Spirit, the ministry of the Spirit. I don't want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. There's, uh, Corinth was filled, as is most Roman cities, filled with temples to various gods. All kinds of religious activities going on at all times. And Paul says of those things, those things, all of the vast amount of spiritual activity that was going on, and it was a lot, and it was quite loud and ecstatic and overflowing almost all of the time, those things were mute idols. There may be a lot of activity going on, and it was quite noisy and quite spectacular, but they were not speaking. It is almost like being in an SEC football stadium. I mean, honestly, in almost any, this is the irony of watching sports, in almost any sport that we watch, the fans are doing most of the work. We are the ones making the noise. We are the ones playing the music. We are the ones producing the activity that makes it so exciting. We are the ones cheering and yelling. Those guys on the field literally are doing absolutely nothing for you. Except making you a little more frustrated. It's generally a one-way street, and the irony that we, we suspend our disbelief in this, the irony is that we actually pay a lot of money to create our own experience. And that's how the kingdom of God, that's how the kingdom of this world works. It requires us to put a lot in to create the excitement to keep things going you pour into your careers with years of preparation and expenses only to find that it doesn't give you anything back. Constant input. The moment you quit inputting into your career is the moment that it quickly fails. Beauty, body image takes a lot of work and the moment you stop inputting, you quickly start decaying and losing it. It may take you decades to build muscle. It takes months to lose it. These things are mute. They're deaf and dumb because they have no life in themselves. And this is the contrast that Paul's making. But 
Jesus, who is the living God, by his spirit, is making new things out of old, dead things. In contrast, he makes mute people who once spoke mutely, could do nothing on our own, were ourselves deaf, dumb, and blind. He makes mute people speak the words that bring new life. Jesus is Lord. Verse 3, no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. You do not become a follower of Jesus by your own power or your own greatness or your own ingenuity or your own abilities. You see, Jesus, too, is a one-way street, but it's the opposite direction. He pays all things, he gives all things, and we do nothing. And so Paul's beginning to address a new question in the church. That's verse 1. Now concerning, he's, he's shifting gears a little bit. There had obviously been a lot of confusion in Corinth about the Holy Spirit's role in the church and confusion about the gifts that the Holy Spirit is giving to members of the church. And so he's clarifying, and he's clarifying in ways that is consistent with the whole scope of the story of the Bible, all the way back from Genesis chapter 1, the whole work of the Spirit. He doesn't change gears and become someone different. The whole work of the Spirit from the very beginning is to bring order out of chaos, life out of darkness, light into the dark, to take what is Jesus's and make it manifest in the world. And so in Genesis chapter 1, the Holy Spirit there, he's participating in the very work of creation like an eagle hovering over the dark and dead, chaotic, dangerous waters of creation, bringing it to life, stirring it up then it might come alive and bringing it into existence. He is working, and where he is working, life springs up. New life springs up. Light comes out of the darkness. And so Paul's putting the work here in Corinthians chapter 12 into this broader context. The Spirit's not changed. His work, verse 7 is to make manifest what once was hidden. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And then in verse 11, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one as he wills individually. And that, that's, the, that's the work of the Spirit is to make known what was once hidden by the great power of God. The end goal of God, the Holy Spirit's ministry, is not to do His own thing over here. Finally, He showed up. It's His time now in the spotlight. The whole goal of the Spirit is to make the Son of God Known. That's why no one can say Jesus is accursed by the Spirit. Because the goal of the Spirit in His ministry is to shine 
the spotlight on Jesus. And when he does, new people spring to new life and say, Jesus is Lord. The full scope of Jesus' ministry on earth, in this sense, was spiritual. Again, not spiritual is invisible as opposed to physical, visible. Spiritual is by the work of God, the Holy Spirit. It was the ministry of the Spirit of God who in the incarnation, when the Son of God came down and put on human flesh, he did so by the Spirit in the womb of Mary. When Jesus went out and his ministry to raise the dead and heal the sick and make the blind see and those who are diseased for their entire lives experience new creation life in their bodies. When he drove out demons, it was all by the Spirit. When he hung on the cross, when he learned suffering, when he hung on the cross, how did he bear the full weight of the Father's wrath that no person could ever bear so full and furious that the sky itself darkened and the earth shook in fear when the wrath was being poured out on the Son of God. How did he bear it? By the Spirit. Why was he raised? Because the Spirit worked with great power and raised him from the dead. The role of the Spirit is to glorify the Son by making taking what Jesus has earned and giving it freely to his people to create the same kind of new life that he created from first to last. And so Jesus himself even says this. You want to know, I'm gonna, it's, it's good for me to go away. He tells this to his disciples. Been following, it's good for me to go. I'm going to send someone who's going to help you. And here's what he'll do. John 16, verse 14. He's going to glorify me. For he'll take what's mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. That's the Spirit's ministry to make manifest that which once was hidden by power. So that new people come and follow Jesus and experience his grace. When you look out in the world, it's the complete reverse of, of a college football game where the stands are full of dead people. And you were once one of them. And the Spirit went out and made us alive. So that no one can say Jesus is cursed by the Spirit, but he also... No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit. That's the Spirit's job. He's like a spotlight bringing all the intensity of heat and light, not to shine on himself, but on Jesus. That is the litmus test for how and when the Spirit is working in the church and in your life. It's an awareness of your and our and my need for Jesus, but also his utmost sufficiency. The spirits say, you need Jesus, and he's all you need. You don't need anything else. And now watch this, because unlike the mute idols, 
lead us astray. I want you to understand, it involves the mind, that no one is speaking in the spirit ever says Jesus is accursed. He doesn't bypass the mind. The spirit is to engage the mind so that our hearts are transformed into the love of Jesus. To grasp it to heights and widths and depths. To know it. Let me just read one commentator here. Contrasting these two verses, the mute idols that cannot speak and therefore lead us astray and can't bring new life. We do all of the work for them. They do nothing for us as contrast to Jesus who does everything for us by his spirit and through his word. He says this, the Christian faith is directly opposite to this in its intention and direction, directly opposite to the mute idols. It doesn't lead to speechless idols because... It is the revelation of the one God who speaks, the only true and living God. Although the Corinthian temples were strong on mystical experiences, ecstatic states, trances, visions, with plenty of noise and excitement, at the center of it all were lifeless gods who couldn't therefore communicate at all. Doubtless there were prophecies, ecstatic language, miracle cures, but they did not and could not lead to a knowledge and a relationship with the creator of the universe. His spirit, his spirit, is not mute. He speaks with penetrating clarity as he declares that Jesus Christ is Lord. And that is how genuine Christians come to know the living God and then to recognize each other. That's a true sign of the Spirit's true work. His working is always, always, always other-centered. Now get this. Because his ministry is other-centered... The kind of people that he creates and the gifts that he gives are also for the sake of others. Now we're down to verse 4. You know what it means when the preacher looks at his watch? Absolutely nothing. Now we can start talking about gifts. Now there are a variety of gifts. And those variety of gifts are all for the sake of other people to make Jesus known. There's no, absolutely no spirituality that is me-centered. There's no true spirituality that is from God the Holy Spirit that is about you alone. When you come to Jesus, the Spirit gives you new abilities, gifts. They're just gifts that are given, not things that are earned. They're just gifts that are given. And these things, these gifts, these abilities, they're essential to the health of the church of Jesus. Even if you've just become a Christian, today, at this moment, he's given you a gift 
that's essential to the health of the church of Jesus. Because when Jesus gives gifts to his church, he always wraps those gifts up in people. And so a true litmus test for the trueness of spiritual gifts is that they too, like the one who gives those gifts, are other-centered, are Jesus-centered, and other-oriented. There's a great deal of variety in these gifts that he lists in verse, starting with verse 4. It actually starts with verse 7. He makes the point that there's a variety here. And then in verse 7, he gives to each the manifestation of the Spirit. Why? For the common good. Not for your own or my own utter individual, me-centered experience of Jesus. Why does he give gifts? For the common good. What are these gifts? Well, a variety of things that Jesus actually himself did in his earthly ministry. To one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. Probably here meaning two different kinds of speaking God's truth and wisdom into the, each other's lives. To another, faith by the same Spirit. By faith he means the stick-to-itiveness of often say with each other, some of us need to believe the gospel for each other. I mean, you believe when someone else doesn't believe in the midst of depression or despair or anxiety or deep grief because you've lost a job or a loved one and I just can't hold on to Jesus anymore. Someone else is going to have to do the work of believing that the gospel is what you need and bringing it into your lives. That's probably what he means by the gift of faith or the missionary who goes out into the world and sees nothing for their entire lives. And 400 years down the road, the entire country of China is blown up to the largest church in the world. That's the gift of faith. To another, gifts of healing by one spirit. To another, the working of miracles. We'll get into these later. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongue. To another, the interpretation of song. All things that Jesus in his earthly ministry did and gave by his spirit to the church to do. And I do think some of these have probably ceased, but we'll get into that later. I'm okay if you don't think that, by the way. But notice here that in all of these things, there's a cooperative working together of the gifts that the Spirit gives. So you have something essential to contribute in making Jesus known into the lives of other people because the gifts of the Spirit are like the gift of the Spirit. It's not Jesus-centered, other-oriented. So to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit. Why? For the common good. The church that the Spirit creates. The experience that the Spirit creates. The gifts that the Spirit creates. Isn't for you. It's for others. We're just, we're just middlemen in this. We're not the end consumers. We're just middlemen. What I've been given is. So that I might give it away. Because it's been given. By the one who gave himself away. And then gave away his spirit to his church, who then gives gifts to make Jesus known in the lives of others. So that we might together be built up by the power of the spirit. Because when Jesus gives gifts, he wraps them up in other people. In fact, when more of God's people are contributing into the lives of each other. 
in a variety of ways. It really manifests the glory of the God who saves us. Look at verse 4. And notice how deeply Trinitarian this is. Like, and, and, and how Paul is highlighting variety and unity. When we're all doing this together, we get a massive amount of variety and a massive amount of unity. One of the things that Paul's doing here is he's saying, he's sort of tackling the root issues of divisions. You don't have very many divisions when we're all concerned about the need of each other seeing more of Jesus. It's just hard to have divisions when that's the goal. Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. When Paul says Lord, he means Jesus, Lord Jesus. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God, the Father, who empowers them all. A.W. Tozer's got this beautiful image for this. Where he says, has it ever occurred to you that you could have a hundred pianos in the room. And if they're all tuned to the same fork, tuning fork. In that sense, they're all, as a result, tuned perfectly to each other as well. They're of one accord by being tuned, not to each other, but to another standard to which each one must individually bow. Each individual piano bowing to one perfectly tuned fork. So 100 worshipers meeting together, each one looking away to Jesus are in one heart nearer to each other than they ever could be were they to become unity conscience and turn their eyes away from God and strive for closer fellowship. That's the spirit. He's taking us to say, look at Jesus. Look all he's done for you. Look, he's enough. Tune your heart to him and then realize that I've given you gifts so that you could tune each other's hearts to him as well, we need to appreciate our differences in gifting and abilities and insights and perspectives. It's a sign that the Spirit of God is actually working in the midst of the church. And we need to appreciate that the Spirit is also giving as He wills. Verse 11. All these empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions each one individually as he wills. Again, do you see how this gets to unity? Because our tendency is to look and go, well, I'm not as gifted as that person is. I don't have much to contribute. I'm not standing up here babbling on for too long like this guy. I don't have much to contribute. I'm not as smart as this person so I don't have much to contribute I'm not as eloquent as this person I don't have much to contribute I'm not as wealthy as this person I don't have much to contribute well any gifts are gifts that the spirit has given as he has chosen not to create a status of hierarchy or worth but just simply as gifts and what he has given you is essential to the proper functioning of all of us together seeing more of Jesus. You have something to bring. You can't be a Christian and not have something to bring. That's just the reality. 
And you have something to bring that's actually essential. And that something is someone. It's you. Into the lives of others. God will make it known to you. By just putting needs in front of you. He doesn't go out and look for us. It's just constantly in front of us. And don't shrink back at that moment, but instead say, I may not say this well, or I may not do this well, but I'll do it. And God will do something with it. I've got something to offer in every single circumstance you find yourself in. And this is the beauty of what God does. The Spirit, who's making all things new, takes these little gifts that He's given us to use... And we offer back in service to him. And then he makes it explode in power to the glory of Jesus and the good of others. Let's pray. Lord, as we come to your table, we need to be reminded and strengthened. We participate with you. You are here by your spirit through These ordinary elements of bread and wine testifying to the all-sufficient love of Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And so, this is our prayer. Take these Holy Spirit and feed us on Jesus Christ. For we pray in His name. Amen.